Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. As you all know, we are moving closer and closer toward our Easter season. And I always think that the best way for us to celebrate Easter is to begin by journeying to the cross. Now, in order to begin this journey, I thought that beginning in the book of Isaiah would be the most appropriate passage for us to start this walk from the prophecies that we receive from Isaiah to Jesus' death on the cross and ultimately his triumph and resurrection over death. Isaiah famously prophesies the character, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ. This book, this chapter is so accurate in its description that even today, Orthodox Jewish men and women will not read this passage. They surely are Old Testament experts, but undoubtedly, this is the text they avoid. It is far too uncomfortable for them to read. And for this reason, Isaiah asks this question, who has believed what he's heard from us. What we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ has tremendous implications on our lives. 
We are saved because Jesus was raised. But we also have to understand that Jesus being battered, Jesus being broken, Jesus being bruised, also has a great impact on our relationship with him. And so today our sermon is entitled, quite succinctly, Bruised. And what we're going to learn in this sermon today about Jesus is that because he was oppressed, because he was battered, because he was bruised, because he was mocked, that it has a tremendous impact on our lives in regards to how we suffer, when we suffer, and when we face our trials, just as Jesus has done. Now, when Isaiah asked the question, who shall believe what he has heard from us, he is alluding to the denial of Jesus as being the true Messiah and the Son of God. The Jews not only rejected and continue to reject him even to this day. The Bible says that Jesus has is folly to the Jews and to us, the Gentiles, it is foolishness. Peter talks about this in his epistle and he speaks about this revelation. But even then, he is working back from Isaiah. Jesus was, in fact, as Peter says, the stone that the builders rejected. But then he says, but the stone that was rejected has now become the cornerstone of our faith. So Jesus, the one who was despised, the one who was rejected, the, the stone that the builders did not want, has now become the cornerstone for the faith that we all need for salvation. It says that he was a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is why Isaiah is such a beautiful and important prophetic book. Not only does he prophesy that Jesus would come, but he also prophesies that they would reject Jesus as well. That's extremely important. Even today, the Jews can only reconcile this passage of scripture by not reading it. Because the revelation that this is Jesus Christ jumps off of the pages. It is clear to us that the man that Isaiah is writing about here is our Savior, Jesus. But this isn't just the Jews, though. Jesus, in all of human history, is the biggest hang-up, by the way. If the world told its story as a puzzle, then I think we could say that Jesus is the piece that just doesn't quite fit that puzzle. The reason Jesus doesn't fit, though, is because his life, his life does not fit the narrative of what would normally constitute a savior. Now, what makes Jesus distinctly different? With every other man-made God and man-made hero and man-made savior, there are these indelible qualities about them that let us know that they are the savior and the hero. They are brilliant. They are distinct. They're always a little bit self-absorbed. They're usually attractive and they're undoubtedly loved. Jesus was said to be the complete opposite of the typical narrative. Now, 
why do you think this matters? Why is this so significant? Because if Jesus is any other by-the-book hero for us, then anyone could believe in him. If he comes just as another hero story who's going to come rescue his people and come out on top the way that every other hero ends up looking, then Jesus would actually never make it to the cross. The hero never really gets caught. He doesn't get crucified. He doesn't get killed. He doesn't get abused. He's not oppressed. He isn't mocked. He isn't made fun of. Not the way Jesus was. He isn't ridiculed. He isn't shamed. He isn't guilted the way Jesus was. That isn't how the story of any other hero or savior ends. Yet, remarkably, that is the life of who Jesus is. Now, when people ask me, why do you believe? I always say, Because who would make this up? Who would look and think this is enough to be made up? But this is the other component. The life of Jesus doesn't just affect how we perceive him, but it also affected how everyone perceived his followers and his disciples. And it also affects how people now perceive us. The life, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus transcends our lives. It is not just what happened to him, but what happened to him now becomes our life as well. When we have been redeemed by his blood, we are now crucified. We have died a death to our flesh like he died and we have been raised to a new life in the life that he lived. And that, my people, was a life that was marked by abuse, by oppression, by guilt, by shame, and none of it he had earned. The difference for us is that we had earned all of the shame and all of the guilt and all the abuse and then some in our lives. Yet, Jesus has borne that for us. His life is a life of sorrow. I love what it says in Isaiah here. He says, there was no form, there was no majesty, there was no beauty, there was nothing about him physically that would make one desire him. But it certainly does not go along with the typical narrative of the hero, of the God, of Zeus, of Hercules, or any of the others that you would mention. Jesus has nothing about him that would distinguish him from anybody else. See, the thing is, and I think we clearly see that God is showing us in the life of Jesus, but also through every person that God would use in the Bible. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus, is that God uses the uncommon. God uses the castigated. He uses the ones who have been set aside for his glory. He doesn't use the one that we would choose. He uses the one that he chooses for his glory. 
When you think about when he chooses Moses the stutterer and when he chooses even Jacob over Esau, he consistently chooses the one that has a record. He chooses Rahab. And Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. And this is what is remarkable about the Jews' denial of Jesus because they would have known that God had a history using the ones that we would not have used. And so with Jesus, he does the exact same thing. This is why this has tremendous implications on our life. This is not the narrative of our world today. The world doesn't want those who have asymmetrical faces. They don't want those who have imperfections. Even when they say they do, it is an imperfection that is beautified beyond what it should be. And so what that means for us commoners that we get set aside. Now, what is really important for us in being set aside, if we are believers, then that means our life is aligning itself right with the life that Jesus lived. And so you should find incredible comfort if you aren't the nicest, the prettiest, the most gifted, the most talented, that that is not what God needs in order for you to be used by God. That if God is willing to use Jesus, who had no form, no majesty, no beauty, yet it was his will to use him and crush him for his glory. He said there's nothing about him that we would have desired him. Yet he is despised and he is rejected. And he is a man of many sorrows and a man who is well acquainted. This is such an interesting term. He is well acquainted with grief. Jesus knows grief well. It is as associated with his life as anything else. Whether it be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, having to accept that the cup that was set before him would not pass, that God intended it for him and accepting that through willful submission as a son would do to his father. Or when he's on the cross and he feels the burden of that sin that had been placed on him and he feels what it means to be utterly separated and forsaken by God the Father. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is extremely important for us. The reason that Jesus was rejected was because he was a man who was well acquainted with grief. It was because he had sorrow. It's because he emoted and he showed what all of this meant in his life. This means that people hated Jesus, but they failed to realize that the grief that Jesus was bearing was not just his grief, but he was bearing my grief. He was bearing. Your grief. When the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest that can be touched and felt and that he sympathizes with all of the infirmities that we would feel, all of the oppression, all of the affliction, all of the sickness that we would feel, no other God would dare admit 
to having human feelings and emotions. Jesus isn't the God who just pities us either and says, well, I'm sorry you feel that. No. We feel what he felt because he felt what we feel. That means that when we are broken, when we are bruised, when we are battered, when we are oppressed, we can make a beeline to the cross of Jesus Christ. The full grief that life can bring was born in Jesus. Everything that I need when I grieve, when I am sad, when I feel despair, when I am forsaken, when I have anxiety, when I am depressed, is found in him. This is the significance that we have been united in a death like his. I can withstand the onslaught of life because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says that the spirit, the power of the spirit that raised him up out of the grave now lives in me. He was bruised. He was battered. He was crushed. Not for us to have a better life, though. He did it so that we could have eternal life. The death and manner of death of Jesus should not just be something that we understand, but it should absolutely reshape the lives that we live. When you think about Jesus, what is the impact of his death on your life? Is the death of Jesus just something we blindly believe as truth? Or do we feel the remnants of his death when we feel what he felt in this life? How, do, how does the grief of Jesus transform how you grieve? Is there a willful submission to the will of God whether or not it is the cup that you would drink from, you drink it anyway because Jesus drank the cup ultimately that you should have been drinking. The cup of your sins that would have brought about such a punishment and a separation from God on you. Can you feel that through your hurt and grief that Jesus is uniting you himself. Listen, this is the significance of the scripture when it says from Paul that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I. It is Christ who now lives in me. That means that the nails that went into his hands went into mine. The nails that went into his feet were in mine. That when they pierced him, I was pierced. Because the life that I now live in the fullness of my salvation is the life that Jesus lived because he is now living in me. Even more when we think that we have been abused when we think that we have been oppressed, when we think that we have been afflicted, that the measuring stick of our response to those afflictions, to that depression, 
to that oppression should be how Jesus responded. A few years ago, somebody monetized what would Jesus do? For us, that should never be the question. We know exactly what Jesus would do. We know that Jesus would bear the grief. Jesus would accept the affliction. Jesus would accept the oppression if it means that God will be glorified. And that ultimately, because he makes all things well, that it is working for our good and his glory. I have mortified the flesh. It has been crucified. And I am now nailed to the cross of Christ. So the shame and guilt I feel in my life is making me more like him. This is the other thing. Isaiah says that it was the will of the father to crush him. To bruise him. If all this is happening to our Savior, then the evidence of a true faith will be found in the notion that the life we now live should look like his. For the people who preach that you should have healing and financial prosperity and all these other things, and that that is the, the sign that you have a true relationship with God, the true relation, the true sign that you have a relationship is that you will have the scars that Jesus has in your life. Jesus says the slave is no greater than the master, and that if he had to endure this shame and the persecution for who he was, that we should expect no less. But the beautiful thing and the promise of God is that there is an eternal weight of glory that is awaiting us. That if we bear that shame, that oppression, that guilt, that affliction now, we won't get glory on this earth. But there is coming a day when a resounding trumpet will sound and the glory of Jesus Christ will be fully revealed to us and in us. And we won't just look at him but we will be as like him as we possibly can. But through grief and the oppression of Jesus, as Isaiah says, he not only bore our sins, but now Jesus is making intercession for us even when we are transgressors. So, Understanding that Jesus was bruised, he was crushed, and the chastisement that brought us peace, that brought us eternal life, was placed on his back, means that I can now live for him, and that no matter what may come as a result of this life, that if I died a death like his, I would be raised in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of who you are. God, we thank you that you were bruised 
on our behalf that God you crushed Jesus so that we could be crushed and have eternal life that we could feel and bear our shame and our guilt and knowing that Jesus took the penalty for our sins and that if we would live a life like his, if we would die to our flesh a death like his, that we one day God will be raised in a resurrection like his. That there is an eternity that awaits us, God. And that when we are oppressed and afflicted and persecuted and bruised and crushed and abused, that we should not feel great distance from you but that we should feel even nearer to you, knowing that through all of those trials, you are conforming and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ. It is in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. My prayer is that this has had a tremendous impact on your life. Um, This is what we will be doing over the course of the next few weeks as we lead into our Easter celebration. We're going to journey all the way to the cross. We're going to really look at all of the elements of what the cross truly means in our lives. So I just pray that this has been a blessing. If you're watching this and you say, I have no knowledge of what the death of Jesus Christ means for me in my life and how that um, provides for me salvation, we would love to talk more in depth with you about that. If you would just email us at info at ourvictorycity.org or just message us on social media, we would love to talk more with you about that. Now it is time for us to transition to our time of giving. We thank you always for your support. You see all the the many ways to give. You can give through our text to give, 205-415-2662. You can also give through our cash app, which is Victory City. And you can go online to ourvictorycity.org. Click that donate button. And give that way. As we journey on our way to the cross, I pray that you will be with us every week and walk along with us on that journey. And I pray that God is going to reveal so much about the implications of the life of Jesus, the death and burial of Jesus, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. As always, knowing that Jesus Christ has paid the sin debt that we owed, we can most definitely go in peace.